Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. That's the Last Lap Podcast. If you Azerbaijan, then I Azerbaijan. <laughs> oh, I don't. I was okay. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, there, there's not too many puns you can make on on Azerbaijan. That was the best I could come up with. Uh, <laughs> welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Pearson. Alongside me, as always, is Sean Gray. Hello. Uh, and of course, tonight we're here to talk about the European Grand Prix. It's the European Grand Prix. A Grand Prix that has been on and off the calendar over the years, usually being used to hide a second Grand Prix in a country already on the calendar, such as Brands Hatch and Donington in the UK, Nürburgring in Germany and Jerez and Valencia in Spain. The dreadful Valencia circuit being the last European Grand Prix in 2012, but it's now back on the calendar to host the brand new circuit around the streets of Baku in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan is slightly bigger than Scotland, with uh, Baku being its capital, and similar to Turkey, the border of Asia and Europe runs through Azerbaijan, so it's part of both. A brand new circuit is always exciting as it comes packed with potential, however as discussed with the proliferation of Tilka tracks, this is another one, that have failed to deliver good racing, we can only speculate as to what this one will bring, but initial looks at the location indicate that it will certainly look pretty spectacular, racing past both modern architecture and an ancient castle. The original cobbled stones of part of the circuit are going to be asphalted over, which seems like a shame, uh, and there are long straights, which means that unlike Monaco, although Baku will have some extremely tight corners, it will also allow the cars to get up to full speed, so it could be an engineering challenge to get the right setup, a driving challenge to navigate the streets, let's hope it isn't a viewing challenge by producing a circuit like Valencia. Let's find out what kind of race we got with Andrew and Sean. Held, of course, in... Baku, for <laughs> the, the famous first time. European city yes. of Baku. <laughs> you know, I, I, when you talk to people, they, oh, where do you want to visit? Oh, Paris, Rome, Baku. You know, <laughs> so it falls off the tongue. <laughs> um, so we we started this weekend looking at a, a brand new circuit, um, which you know was interesting. Uh, and watching the GP2 races, it looked like it it might be a, a fairly interesting circuit uh given the sheer amount of lunacy that went on across the uh gp2 races which i actually watched um i watched both the sprint race and the uh, main race just about to say that i don't actually catch a lot of gp2 just through having that much that much that much on uh i don't really have the time but just by pure coincidence this week i caught the sprint race i didn't see the feature race but i caught the sprint race <laughs> and god it was carnage Jeez. I, was, I was sitting on the couch going I should be watching GP2 every week. Is it almost like this? Like, honestly, I've not seen a GP2 race all season. Turned into one, and it was that sprint race this weekend. And my God. <laughs> yeah. The... They must have had, it was safety car, restart, safety car, restart, safety car, restart. Literally lap after lap after lap for about five laps. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah, the, the feature race wasn't, wasn't much better. It involved um, uh, one of the one of the drivers who is a McLaren Young Driver program, possibly not for very much younger, longer, I don't think, um, 
accelerating down for the restart and then realising he'd not remembered where the safety car line was and that everybody else was going to accelerate past him. Um, so decided he would just slam on the anchors. Um, was, that, was that in the feature race? Because they seem to be doing that kind of thing in the sprint race as well. Yeah. Which driver think, was that? Uh, that was Matsu, Matsushita. Right, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I put that down to an experience, I think, although, to be honest, that's not really an excuse these guys are. <laughs> well, he's banned for the next race. So. Drivers, they should probably know what they're doing in that <laughs> sense, but yeah, we'll chalk that. We'll give them a benefit of the doubt and say, say an experience, I think, but yeah, absolute carnage. So uh, it led me to think that we were going to be on for, and, and I wasn't the only one who thought this for the sounds of things, I thought we were going to have an absolute barnstormer on Sunday afternoon when the, when the big boys turned up. Didn't really work out that way, though, did it? Well, I guess um, I guess what it proved was that um, the F1 guys probably watched the GP2 race and went, hmm. Let's be looks, yeah. yeah, it looks very easy to ruin your your race in one corner let's um let's be a little bit more sensible i mean to be fair the f1 boys are generally much more yeah. sensible they're, than... they're going to keep it out of the barriers more often than yeah, yeah. and they're not, they're not going to go four deep into a you know in, into a one car corner are they um which is usually a gp2 favorite of everybody goes, <laughs> i've got space on the track now therefore i shall refuse to give up my line regardless of how... there must have been two or three gp2 guys that were going looking on for cracking results and threw away a podium in one moment of utter madness. So, yeah, like you say, Formula 1 guys are a little bit too old and a little bit too wise for that kind of thing. I still thought we would have had a little bit more action than uh, than what we did end up with. I mean, you'd have lost a lot of money betting on safety cars, put it that way. Well, yeah, I mean, I think... Um... I think I saw a lot of tweets of people saying saying things like that, and it, it was surprising that given how much contact there was with the wall uh, in all of the practices and in qualifying, um, that we didn't see anybody do that. And I don't know whether that was just that they reined themselves in. Um, or... There was an interesting um, an interesting debate there. Is it because the cars are easier to drive, or is it because the than the GP2 cars, or is it because the drivers are so much more skilled? I I quite honestly think it's the latter. I just don't think that there's um, there's not a lot of patience in GP2, um, possibly because it's seen as the feeder series for F1, um, and everybody tries to make their mark. But yeah, no, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it, everybody they might only have six races to show what they can do, so they have to do it. Yeah. There and yeah. Well, if Formula One's getting a little bit like that, if you ask Helmut Marco and the <laughs> Toro Rosso guys, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, everybody's trying to make a name for themselves, where Formula One is full of guys that are established. So, I guess that's. I mean, that's a fair point. Uh, yeah, though. Still, though, I would have had the like I said, I would have had the house on there at least being one safety mm. guy. I mean, with such little runoff area and the the barrier's so close to the track and it's so narrow. You'd, you surely would have expected a little bit more. Yeah. So we start, the qualifying was where we should probably start, to be honest. There was, there was a few incidents in qualifying in that sort of manner, hitting the barriers, and that one uh, very high-profile one for a world champion. Uh, yes, uh, uh, an odd qualifying for Lewis, although he's had them before, um, it has to be said, where he seems to be either pushing too hard or um, not having the feel for what the real, 
you, you know, he's a driver that drives on the edge. Uh, you know, most of it, most of the time. Uh, and I guess sometimes there's just times when you don't pick up what the edge really is. Um, so <clears throat> it was good in practice. So that's what was a bit strange for yeah. me. It was, it was good. It was good on the Friday, and then he came out on the Saturday, and and he had a bit of a blunder in Q two. Uh, it was just just scraped through towards the tail end of Q two, having been down in uh, down in tenth, I think, and then obviously clips the barrier in Q three before setting a lap, and, and that was all she wrote. So it was really strange how he'd gone from looking pretty dialed in on Friday, and he was saying, "Oh, anybody moaning about this new track just needs to get on with it. It's fun, you know. We're racing drivers. We're here to race. Like it's bumpy and it's tough, but that's what we like. Looking properly dialed in, and then he woke up on the Saturday and." It was completely different, which is really strange. I don't know whether he'd had a few too many cans on the Friday night or something. <laughs> <laughs> just feeling know. a little worse it's for wear. He didn't. He just. It was complete pull. It was like a different guy in the car. I found it really strange. I mean, he was lucky. To, like I say, he was lucky to get through Q two and then uh, never even had a chance. So uh, in Q two, he didn't even set a time. So Nico basically. It was a gift, really. What at the end of the day, no, nobody was going to. Only person that could possibly beat Nico would be Lewis, and and he wasn't there. So it was, a, it was one of the easier pole positions in Nico's career, that's for sure. Indeed. Um, the the funny thing, the weirdest thing was, wasn't it, is that where he clouted his tire was the. It was the only time that happened the whole entire weekend. I didn't even see anybody in GP two do it. I mean, unless I missed it. Um, it was strange because it was kind of somewhere where I assumed that 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 might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's such a tight sec- section, and I thought, oh, somebody's just going to overcook it through here and think that they can take a bit more speed, or they'll get a little bit of oversteer, understeer, um, and it's. Yeah, I thought someone like Kvyat or Verstappen or something would do that, you know, so, uh, uh, someone with a bit more, a bit less experience, you well, know. Gutierrez, do you know what I mean? That kind of, you know, because it was a bit sloppy, eh? If you know, like, you know, but something you'd expect maybe a first season, second season type of driver to make trying. Yeah. Pushing that wee bit too hard, trying to show what they can do, kind of thing. Lewis is normally pretty good for keeping it out of the barriers. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of mistakes. But no, it has happened before, though, with Mercedes, isn't it? Nico Rosberg had a couple of times where he was um, fastest through all, all three sessions, uh, and then when they seemed to get down to the qualifying thing, just was never near Lewis um, during any of the sessions. So I don't know whether it's just. Just sometimes with the way that Merck set up, set up their cars, I wonder if they sometimes change things on spec, um, and you know if they notice one car's going faster, whether they'll adjust the other car to match the settings more, and whether that in some cases can destabilize the driver because the the car changes enough. I don't know. It, it, it is odd, but it, it's not like it hasn't happened both ways before in the past. Um, Either way, he started tenth and Nico started first. Uh, so recovery. I mean, what what are you thinking there? If you you leave that circuit on the Saturday night down in tenth. Yeah, there's uh, a bit of op- opportunity for overtaking down into that first corner. But you know, if I was Lewis at that point, I'd be thinking I've got my work cut out to to get a podium here. You know, it's not going to be easy to come through the field, passing guys like the Force Indias and the Williamses and stuff who've mighty in a straight line. So. You know, it, it pro- like, if that was a different sort of racetrack, you might have been able to come straight through to to second quite easily. But it was never going to be the case this weekend. It was it was always going to be tough for him, especially once he got past the the Renault powered cars like the Red Bulls. 
could he could he could have easily been you know we'll get into his problem I'm sure in a minute but even then he wasn't going to just breeze past the the Williamses and the and the Force Indias who were you know properly dialed in down that big long straight. No, I, I I completely agree. I must have, when I real you know when I when you realised he was starting from tenth. I have to say my initial thought was he'll you know he'll be lucky to to make third or fourth with some of the cars that are in front of him because they're you know they're they're quick in a straight line. That's that is their you know modus operandi is to be be quick down those straights. And even if um, you know. Lewis can dispatch some people quickly at the start of the race, which he didn't because he was being so cautious, I think. Um, you know, he's then got laps to try and, and make those things happen. Um, all the time, potentially, those cars in front might be um, driving in better air or cleaner air, having to push less or, you know, be able to look after their tyres in bits and pieces. I just don't, you know, there was a lot of people suggesting somehow that Lewis's issue had stopped him from getting second, but I just don't, I don't, I think don't he see that second. he was guaranteed. I mean, I think he could have, you know, he don't get me probably, wrong. He probably would have finished third, I think, full force. But by the time he got past Perez and uh, whatever other Williamses, etc., were in his way, that would have given Vettel the... You know the opportunity to get that probably that little bit ahead, that, 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 so that he could manage the gap and probably maintain second. I think full. If Lewis gave it full beans all week, all, all race, I think he probably would have finished third. I'm not convinced he would have finished second. No, Perez, I, I think Perez I think he'd have, he'd have come up to a, a big, you know, a big wall in in terms of what Perez was doing at the time. Perez was qu- properly quick at the end of the, yeah, the Grand Prix. Exactly. Um, Perez had an absolute mighty weekend, and if we talk about his practice bump putting it in the wall in the yeah. last minute, you know, after a two-hour practice session hitting the wall with as literally as a checkered flag waves, his mechanics must have been, you know, Pissing. <laughs> jumping off a cliff at that point. <laughs> um, to get that car rebuilt in an hour, send it out and qualify second, I know Lewis had his problem, but to qualify second on the grid, having to take a five-place grid penalty down to seventh, you know, it just showed all weekend that Perez was properly dialed into this racetrack. Uh, Lewis probably, like, he would have passed Perez. I'm sure he would have passed Perez. But it wouldn't have been just a case of drive up to the back and breeze past like we've seen the Mercedes do at some other tracks with cars. So, And and as we discussed at length last week, you know, that this 2016 Mercedes doesn't like following cars. You know, we discussed it last week. So no. it was like it was as soon as he hits that wall in qualifying, it was he was going to he was you you have to think he's going to lose at least ten to fifteen points to Nico here, minimum, uh, if if not more than that. And in the end, that's, that's that's obviously what happened. I think it went from nine points to twenty four points, so he lost fifteen points, and that's probably you know about the best he could have done from where he was. He might have got. Uh, third. Where did he end up finishing? Fifth. So yeah. he might have came four. He probably would have came fourth or third with the with the um, the full the full power. Uh, but I don't even think there's a guarantee of that. And uh, given his qualifying incident and everything that happened in the race, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get onto, he probably can't be too disappointed managing to get it home in fifth. I, I don't I, think. I think you know realistically. Um, it's not the worst result he could have gotten out of that. I think, well, realistically, he could have um, he could have been collecting people in you know in the midfield in turn exactly. one. 
Look at the carnage, like we said, in GP2. I was expecting at least a first corner, some sort of incident. So, and Lewis would have been right in the middle of that. In the end, he's had a nightmare qualifying session, qualified 10th, managed to make up five places during the race, finished 5th from 10th on the grid with engine power problems. You know? Yeah. That, if you actually sit and think about it, it's a, it's a, it's a good result. You can't be too unhappy with it. No, no, he's he's definitely salvaged something from. You know, it could have been so effect, much worse. It? He could have been he could have been down in the, down in tenth or worse, or out the race, or collected by a a, 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 a searing into the first corner, Danny Fiat or something like that. So, yeah, it could have been a lot worse for Lewis Hamilton. He gets out there with a twenty-four point deficit to Nico. You know, Nico had his problems in the last couple of races. Now Lewis has had his problem in this race. It's swings and roundabouts, and you're going to get that. I think um, all being said, he can't. He, he shouldn't be too disgruntled. What, yeah. Shall we talk about the um, the radio then? Well, yes. The radio ban <laughs> and the and and the uh, the power issue that uh, that went hand in hand with it. Yeah. What so, do we think? Well, the let's let's talk about what happened to him then. So the um, official word from Mercedes is that um, it was one particular setting, one particular power power mode or combination of bits and pieces, um, and it was all to do with a pre setup choice um, that was on both cars. Lewis started in that preset. Um, and Nico didn't, so it's presumably some preset that increases power. Um, Nico doesn't need it because he's out front. Lewis was using it to try and make up as you know as much time as he possibly could at the start of the race. Um, and I think it, I think probably he maybe didn't notice it as much because he was getting so much slipstreaming action off of people um, that it was kind of making up for the deficit on the straights. But I think it wasn't until he everything sort of. He got past that, you know, uh, ninth to seventh place, and then started coming up against, you know, the sort of Williamses and uh, and stuff. That I think he suddenly realised he wasn't getting everything that he needed to. Um, I mean, yeah, like you say, it was um, there's a couple of sort of Red Bulls and Toro Rosso and things that he was um, battling with to begin with. So even slightly down in power, Merck's probably still going to be able to compete with them. Yeah, and you say, at this once track you, certainly. Yeah, once you you rock up to the back of a Force India or a Williams that's got exactly the same engine in it as him. I think, like you say, that's when he noticed it. But that was still that was only about lap four, I think I heard. So it didn't. Mm-hmm. I think somebody mentioned lap four. So that doesn't. You know, it's just a couple of laps in the race. The first couple of laps are completely frantic. You know, you don't really know what's going on. And then as soon as it settles down, he notices it pretty quickly. Then, so if they're saying lap four, so he hasn't he hasn't lost out on. You know, if, if he was able to change it there and then. He wouldn't have lost out on anything, basically. No, um, and he wasn't only... able to change it. There, <laughs> well, no, this uh, this was the big thing. <laughs> Nico Rosberg apparently was able to change it, um, but before you know, we we praised Nico too much on that. Really, um, he'd gone into the mode, so was able to go. Ah, well, this isn't working, and I think was able to switch it back fairly quickly. So you know, it was only for a couple of laps um, where. Uh, you know, he'd he'd noticed that he was down on power. Um, interestingly, since since the race has happened, Total Wolf uh, has been quoted as saying that Lewis was losing about 0.2 seconds, so two tenths a lap. 
um, for what about fourteen laps? What's that then? Not even five. Let's test a marathon take. That's only about three seconds or something. Yeah, it's not um, a lot. It, I mean, it's a lot, but it's, it's, it's enough. It's, <laughs> but it's enough that it's it's going to make a pain the in the but... in, you know in the what's it to overtake uh, on the straights teams with you know uh, equal to or at least nearly equal to power. Um, but that still seems but... to me that you know it, it's not an insurmountable handicap for a Mercedes, which we think is you know sizably quicker than most of the other cars, or it should at least be you know. It feels like it should be kind of closer. Um, it's very difficult to understand all of this because you, you they talk in such coded language, you know, presets and this and that. and You know, they might say, oh, well, it, this should only cost 0.2 seconds, but it's difficult, We especially if we already know that the Mercedes doesn't like to follow other cars. So it's 0.2 seconds plus whatever disadvantage he's getting not running in the clean air and all the other bits yeah. and pieces. It's so, difficult to gauge exactly. Yeah. I'd, what time was cost through what, you know... It's very surprising that they have, came out and put just, a value, I think. He could just have a scruffy lap and lose five-tenths of a second if he has a scruffy lap, lots of bad break of that. You know, it's difficult to point out exactly at what point... At what point does it stop becoming the engine issue and become driver issue, and then what point does that become uh, because he's then following other cars? It's difficult to break down... A, a deficit per lap, and to, as to exactly what is the issue for each each portion of that deficit, you know. But if, if, if it's not point two, if that's what they're saying. Then that's not. It's know, not like he had no bit, uh, or there, there something like that. Worse issues. Yeah, there've been worse engine issues that he could have had. Yeah, he he, you know, he like, was down on power, not out of power. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but of course, the talking point, as Sean has alluded to, effect. Uh, a couple of times um, now is Lewis was asking desperately across the radio as anybody would um, what settings he needed to change to try and fix the issue and the engineer was not allowed uh, due to the radio ban to actually tell him um, I made for some great entertaining <laughs> radio <laughs> interview I like can't lie <laughs> I did it was a little funny. It was a little, a was little amusing, and uh, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 it, not because I was glad it was happening to Lewis, but it just the conversation was funny, and you know, we, we can all say Very that well. if, if if it wasn't happening to our favourite driver, then it, it's amusing, and if it was, we you know, we wouldn't find it quite as funny. Um, but tr- well, trying to be as as funny as Lewis was. Kimi Raikkonen was outstanding. <laughs> yes, as only, as only Kimi, Kimi can be. Kimi's rewriting the rule book from the cockpit. What do you mean? Of course you can tell me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was super. I loved Kimi Raikkonen's reaction. Lewis's was pain and anguish as he seen his champions lead, his championship lead, sort of, yeah, sorry, championship deficit grow. It was pain. It was desperation. With Kimi, it was. Just pure rage, yes. pure anger. <laughs> what do you mean? Surely you can just tell me yes or no. <laughs> no, we can't, Kimmy. It was the use of the word, the phrase "of course." Like Kimmy has decided. Don't worry, lads. Kimmy's spoken. Of course he can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> he has decided. Of course you can tell me. <laughs> Love it. Kimmy reckoned it makes me well. It's nobody else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um. So let, what, let's yeah. let's answer the elephant in the room. Um, what 
does something need to change? And if so, what is it? Uh, yeah, I think. Okay. Things, things like this. I, yeah, the radio band works for me when they're not telling people to break 300 metres before a corner or things like that. You use your cares coming off the 16th turn and things like that. Don't, I, don't, I don't like that. But for things like, like you know, switching to engine mode this or, you know, look, put some brake bias forward, things like that, I'm not... It, it, it's, it's a fine line and it would be difficult. I appreciate the difficulty in, in writing the regulation. At what point does it become unacceptable kind of thing? But for this type of thing, Fernando Alonso put it, Brian, I got it right. You know, these things have got so many different options, like driving a spaceship, I believe he said. And then it's like driving a spaceship and taking away in the instruction manual. I, I, I kind of I agree with that. I like a lot about the radio ban. I'm all about giving the, the, the drivers all the power and trying to take away the power from the pit wall as much as possible. But there is a there is a fine line, and this just slightly step over it for me so I'm not quite sure how I would word the regulation to get it to work but I know that this kind of thing I would I would allow Lewis was to say is it engine mode X Y or Z and the engineer went yes I don't I don't think that that's a problem but I appreciate the difficulty of coming up with the right regulation where it encompasses everything what do you think so my my point of view I think I worry that anything that you do that neuters this rule introduces more ways that the teams code messages and yep. say, you know, um, ooh, I agree with break, that. breaks, you know, breaks are getting hot because that's a safety message or something like that. Uh, slip it into strap mode five to protect them or something like that. Do you know what I mean? And then that's yeah, really and just that's... a cue to say, you need to push now, you, you know, your teammates catching or, you know, the more things you allow them to say, the more chances there are for them to abuse that, that respect. System. That I totally agree with that. Yeah. I totally so, agree with that. So, but on the other hand, it, it isn't right that, um, something this technical, uh, leaves the drivers stranded. I don't agree with Lewis Hamilton that it was, it was dangerous because he was doing everything on the, the big long straights. And I, you know, he, he's, He's not make, twiddling dials or doing stuff as he's passing people or, or doing any of those those bits and pieces. So the the safety argument doesn't really ring true. It sounds like a way of getting your way. Do you know what I mean? Of saying, well, if I say it's safety, then I'll have to change it. But I I feel sorry for both Lewis and Kimmy that they were stuck not being able to change something that they could have changed. So my answer to that is, don't give them so many switches. Don't give uh, them a hundred yep. options give them 10 options that they can know and understand and that's it you know if they uh, i agree if they have less things agree. that they have to twiddle to make the car work then there's less things that can go wrong and if it comes down to the fact that they say oh well, that means there's less things that they can fix in the car well then you go too bad make your cars more reliable or they'll have to come in and pit and then you can press control lock delete on your laptop once it's plugged into the <laughs> into the side of the, the the car and make it work again but don't you know let's let's be serious here and say that if we're if we're keen about racing um and putting the power back in the driver's hands then don't make them you know don't ask them to be jugglers you know 
ask them to um you know be uh or you know don't don't make them expect them to be artists and give them um you know a six million color palette if they don't need it if, if you can get away with you know the, the colors that you need to make it work then let's then do that you know and, and don't try and overload things by trying to push it to the millionth degree um and i agree i mean Lewis said there was like a hundred switches like what come on now that's just getting a bit silly you, you could but you could, the... don't need that that amount of different options go faster to overtake res, uh, save fuel standard there's three that you could probably use the rest i mean obviously i'm oversimplifying it for but the it's... sake of the point but you know what i'm saying no no absolutely the, you don't need that many different options, you know. A couple to speed up when overtaking or in traffic, some to cool, to slow down to maintain engines, that kind of thing, and then a steady pace, you know. And then a few, a few extremes either way. There you go. You've got a handful, maybe ten, like you say. I'm not a big fan of this, you know. Over complex just for the sake of it. Just because the technology is there that you can have these many different settings doesn't mean that we should. No, you know? for me, it's the interaction between all of the switches. It's not that you know they've got two dials, ten buttons, and all the bits and pieces. It's that you can twist one dial, which then changes the the value of all of the other buttons or five of the other buttons and then not five of the others or, or or whatever it is that's the bit i'd like to get rid of you can say yeah i've got a dial with five you know with five changes i can make here a dial on this bit which is five changes here and then i've got five or ten buttons that all do one specific thing and so long as they all do those one specific things and there isn't any you know there isn't any way that those things all interact to change how everything works then there's only a limited amount that the driver can possibly do and therefore has to know, uh, and then they can just get on with driving the car. And if anything else goes wrongs on the wrongs on the car that they could have fixed previously, then the team should have done a better job making sure those things don't happen. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I, like I say, I think there's there's a little bit of scope for radio messages with this kind of thing, but ultimately. I agree with the overriding point that these things are too complex, unnecessarily complex for the 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 use that that they get out of them. Hmm. Yeah, it's. It seems to be a mixed opinion from the drivers as well. To be fair. Yeah, you know, I think I think what they want is not to be uh, hamstrung by a a fixable issue that they can't be told to fix. Um, how you, which is, well, I mean, who isn't going to agree with that? I, I think all the, all the drivers would agree to that. I think it's the way that you go about making sure that that's not something that happens is the, you know, is the key to the, to the answer. And I don't think relaxing the uh, rules on the radio ban is necessarily the way to do it. So would you cut? Would you like to see a proper uh, technical regulation that limits the amount of engine modes and things on the steering wheel? Then uh, something. I really, honestly, I haven't thought about it enough to consider how you'd 
make that kind of regulation. I guess the only I thought, way... You... I thought you'd have had a dossier you're sitting in yeah, already. Well, <laughs> spend your Sunday afternoons, is it not? Yeah, it is usually, it's usually the thing I like to do. Um, but in this case, I mean, the easiest thing to do would be to say, okay, we've got a standard ECU. We'll do a standard um, control unit for the steering wheel. You can shape it however you want. Do you know what I mean? You can put the buttons wherever you want and the dials wherever you want that makes it comfortable for you. But all of these things will have a you know, a set limit of function or, or a set function that they are for, what you assign to them is completely different. But, you know, dial A will never affect button 18 and, you know, dial B won't change the settings of buttons 1 through 5. The way they describe it sometimes, it's like they're flicking through menus upon menus yeah. and lists and everything. Yeah. And it's like, these guys are trying to race Formula 1 cars, man. No wonder the racing can be crap sometimes because they're too busy trying to reach do a system bloody restore on their steering wheel or something like yeah no nah, I, I definitely agree with you less buttons uh, well le less options for the buttons um so what happened to just accelerate break <laughs> yes <laughs> go back to the old days starting to sound like a grumpy old man down the pub right <laughs> playstation Move control pads that's the way forward yep definitely four buttons on the top <laughs> two shoulder buttons there you go um, so, so let's get... Rosberg, yeah, finishes yeah. uh, sorts his problem and pretty much goes home, doesn't it? it, it you know, um, it's really difficult, isn't it? I hate using the phrase "easy" for these kind of things because it's it's never easy. Um, nope. You've got to drive your car consistently through the whole thing. He was putting in fastest laps when he needed to, and looking after the tires, and doing all all the things you need to do to drive your way comfortably to the win so that's that's probably what i'd say it was a comfortable win for Nick, for nico nothing is ever easy in formula one um and yeah that was that led from led from start to finish didn't he i don't think he never came uh, out second behind anyone did he don't don't recall i don't think so because they stent they extended their stint right out yeah and everybody uh, else pitted before him didn't he so him and seb went Went pretty much as long as you could go, and uh, I think Nico came in. Nico and Seb, they more or less came in at the same time. So when they came back out, it was pretty much as 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 you were kind of thing. I think Seb Seb came out behind Kimmy, who was doing a bit of a contrary strategy. But but more or less, yeah, it was you know, lights out. Uh, you know, drive fast, pit, drive fast, win for Nico. Pretty. Like you say, I'm a bit loath to use the word easy as well, but comfortable is definitely a fair, a fair word. The Ferrari didn't have what it had shown in Canada here. It wasn't clearly wasn't able to go with the Mercedes in the way that it kind of was in Canada, even though ultimately it fell short there as well. Uh, it looked a bit more like the Mercedes of a couple of months ago here. Yeah, I, I think... Um, well, you know, let's start talking about the, the Ferrari then as well. I think the problem that they had here was that um, Canada is pretty much all power, isn't it? Um, and this track is a bit weird in that it's got, like, f you know, that massive, massive straight and then um, two 90-degree turns. And then you're into the stupid, well, not stupid, but the, the twisty bit where, you know, nobody can pass and it's, um, uh, you know, wall-to-wall -wall action, essentially. Um, and I think, and it, I think Red Bull kind of proved this as well to to some extent. Um, there was a balance to be met that I don't think Ferrari really got right this race. 
Um, and so I think, you know, I, I think Seb was probably doing as well as that car setup would have let him. Whether they, you know, whether there was an intermediate setup somewhere in between all the bits and pieces that Ferrari could have found, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I'm speculating here, but uh, it, it seemed to me that this circuit is a mixture of two things um and i think that made the window for setting up your car very well much smaller than it would be at canada or like a spa where you know you can take off you know all of yeah. the downforce and, and go for it or or a monaco or a singapore where you're going to strap on the the downforce and yeah there's no there was no there was no extremes with this circuit you needed a kind of a bit of everything a bit of a jack of all trades because what set. What it seemed to show is that the that I think both Ferrari and Red Bull, uh, Red Bull more so than Ferrari, um, which I thought was kind of interesting, um, but I think they both shed a lot of aero for this race, um, and the Red Bulls were certainly hampered by not being able to turn on their tyres because I don't think they could generate the the loads in them that they used to. Um, I think the Ferrari is generally more centrally set up it's less aero dependent than the Red Bull. So was doing better because it could, you know, it still had enough to, to go with um, in, in terms of getting stuff into tire. But I, I just think, I don't think the Ferrari was ever close to being able to get onto the Mercedes this weekend, like they were in Canada. And I think it'll be interesting to see um, what, what happens, you know, in the, the next few races as we, we go back to kind of, slightly more traditional types of track yeah silverstone will be the interesting one mm. i think because yeah i would expect i would expect upgrades to be brought for for silverstone so that 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 that's the the one in terms of car development that i'll be keeping a keeping an extra eye on to see to see what happens i'm not even quite sure it's one before silverstone oh it's austria of course so gonna say what's next it's austria so i mean that's quite a unique track isn't it austria it's a bit, there's not a lot of corners, it's just point and squirt, straight, turn, straight, turn mostly. So, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure who will be quick there. Probably just, you would think the Mercedes-powered cars will be, like Baku, probably the best off. But So I think Silverstone's where we'll really be looking to see what Ferrari can do and see if they can continue their, their upward development. I mean, we've been talking about. It seems like we're talking for three years about Ferrari. Can they find another couple of tenths on Mercedes? You know, it started off one second, two seconds a lap down three seasons ago. We're we're within two or three tenths now, but we're still not quite there. Like it's like a continuous, ongoing process for them. But that's the nature of the beast. I think Vettel can be fairly satisfied with second. Oh yes, yeah, we um, we it wasn't going to beat. Nico, realistically, so he's beating everybody else that he could beat. So he's won his own individual sort and of fa- race, and so fairly comfortably speak. as well. It has to be said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he tried something a bit different with Kimi. Didn't really work out. The penalty didn't help. Uh, that was just Kimi being a little bit silly. Yes. Yeah, uh, you know, it's one of those slam dunk kind of ones. You know, it's it's. What, uh, nothing, nothing. Nobody gained any benefit. Nobody was put in any danger. But the rule is what it is. Yeah. And he violated it. It's a bit like speeding in the pit lane. I was just literally about to say that. <laughs> you go one second. 
the one thing one that, you know, if it flashes up on your screen to say this person yeah. is suspected of doing this, you can pretty much go. Yeah, it's a, it's a slam dunk, isn't it? So, <laughs> so it is what it is. It was quite fortunate to only get five seconds, to be fair. We could have drive through them for that, which would have been 15, 20 seconds. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You got, got, got the most minimum punishment for the crime, which was probably fair. Uh, it was unfortunate because it kind of ruined the battle with Perez. We all knew deep, there was, they two were together on the track for a solid 20 laps towards mm. the end, but we all yeah. knew Perez was, was in reality five seconds up the road, which kind of ruined the fight a little bit. If those two were fighting on track, it might have been something a bit more interesting towards the end of the race because as it panned out, we had Nico was clear easily and then Seb was pretty easily clear of everybody else in second and then we didn't really have a fight for third because of the penalty for Timmy and then Lewis was in no man's land still playing with his steering wheel <laughs> in fifth. So we didn't really have much going on in the top five or six for a race that promised so much, which is a little bit disappointing, I guess. Uh, yes. But let's let's talk about third place then. Um, Sergio Perez, again, picking up a podium place. Yep. I mean, I mentioned him earlier. It was a great drive. It was a really, really super Great weekend. Drive. It wasn't just a drive. It was the qualifying performance. Even I know he bumped it in practice, but before that he looked on it. He looked dialed in right from the get-go. And how many times did we go on about that Force India? Just sometimes it can just turn up at a track and just look mighty and end up on the podium. And that's what it's done here. It was a cracking drive from Sergio. Cracking drive in Monaco a few weeks ago to get a podium. And, and the stock is continuing to rise again and again. Uh, after his sort of failed experiment at McLaren, he's, he's slowly but surely building his stock right back up again. And now there's lots of talk of him going to Ferrari to replace Kimi. Whereas, you know, six months ago, that was all going to be talked about um, Bottas and Hulkenberg. All of a sudden, it's Sergio Perez, its name's getting linked for the big, for the big job. I think the, thing, I think the thing that I'm waiting to see, because it's kind of, it's kind of happened a lot with Force India, um, is that they, they and their drivers have tended to yo-yo through a season. Yeah, that's true. It's strange, isn't it? And, you know, it, it's been Nico Hulkenberg the last few seasons, really, who's been really good and then gone right off the pace. Uh, you know, and now Checo's doing great. Um, and you just need to see, really, don't you? What what you need to see is Checo doing that for the next three or four races. Um, I mean, I agree, but I don't... I think, I think if he doesn't, I'm not necessarily. I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I think that's just the nature of that Force India car. Sometimes it's just on it, and sometimes it's absolutely nowhere to be found. And I don't really know why that's the case. <laughs> so, like, I've seen it this even this season. There was a couple of races early in the season where they were struggling to make. You know, they couldn't get in Q3, and they were struggling. They were down in 14, 15, 16 from the grid. And now they're, you know, right up there, challenging for podiums. With no obvious reason why, no obvious reason I can see. We know they're not plowing money into development because the money isn't there. They don't have that much money, so it's just a bit of a weird one with them in terms of the certain types of tracks that they're suited to. But I completely agree with uh, with what you said about Perez and Hulkenberg. You know, it's 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 weird how one seems to be really on it and the other one's off it, and then all of a sudden it's the other one that's on it and the other one that's off it. They never seem to have both of them consistently right right up at the sharp end. It's, it's very strange. 
Maybe they only have one good car. <laughs> <laughs> and they just rotate who gets it. Play the other one's the, the, the other one's actually a two thousand and six Jordan. I've just not told <laughs> anybody. <laughs> Right, you know, I mean, that's good. Although Nico, to be fair, Nico Hulkenberg didn't have the worst weekend. He managed to salvage some points, but he qualifying was his problem. Yeah, that's true enough. I'm sure we'll come to him, but uh, great, um, great drive from from Perez, and uh, and I'm happy with that because I like him. Uh, and he was, you know, he was very, he's very smiley in the press conference and the podium and stuff after it. He just seems like an all around decent enough guy. So yeah. well done, well done, Sergio. Great drive this weekend. I think we've kind of covered fourth and fifth really in terms of the um uh, the issues that they have so we'll kind of skip over Raikkonen and Hamilton I think in this bit uh Bottas in sixth for Williams um you know I ask this question every single week um but it, it, it it's kind of a a worthwhile question asking every single week anyway you know are Williams pleased with that sixth place or should they feel you know maybe they could have done a little bit better given the length of the straight and all the other bits and pieces should they have been closer well, to the Ferraris and, and what's interesting this weekend that Claire was interviewed by I don't know Ted probably and she said we're looking at the Red Bulls in front of us we're not even entertaining the Force Indias behind us when really she should have been saying we're looking at the Force Indias in front of us Yes, we're not worried about the Red Bulls. You've got a little bit the wrong way around. A bit, you know. Who could? You can't blame Claire Williams for. She's not Mystic Meg. She didn't know the Red Bulls were going to chew through the tires in the way that they did. But she should be a bit more. I think she's. The you know, India's are this on this weekend. I think she needed to show them a bit more. I'm trying to say a bit more respect. You know, like I said, they were quick all weekend. And, and sure, the, the Williams will expect to fight with them, but there's no foregone conclusion that they would be ahead of them as proven. So that, to answer the original question, should they be happy with sick? Hmm, I don't know. With Lewis having his problems, I think a podium is maybe there for the taking, so I think they'll be slightly disappointed. What do you think? Um... I really don't know. I really don't know anything about Williams anymore. I used to think nah. that you could gauge them, and I just... <sighs> we said it so many times. I, I hate repeating myself on this. I like to say new things and come up with new ideas, but I just don't see where that car's going. Do you know what I mean? It's, I know. Um, it's just they, they say They say <laughs> they've got a design philosophy, but I don't, I don't see them enacting anything like that. They just seem to be dropping back. And... It either makes me think either you don't have a design philosophy at all and you, you just try and do what you can, or you have a design philosophy and I don't think it's a very good one. Um, you know, it, at the moment, the Force India is better than the Williams, and that's the only conclusion that you can really come up to. Um, we'll have to wait and I see agree. if it's a consistent thing. But if you go on how it's gone this season... The, the Force India seems to be improving significantly throughout the season, and then the Williams isn't. And you wouldn't have said that, given you know no. Force India's well documented, <laughs> um, well documented financial sort of not struggles as such, because you know they're not sober, you know they're, they're doing all right, but they, 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 you know they have enough to get by, they don't have enough to actively invest and and push the boat out. So for them to be developing what 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 looks on the surface of the matter to be developing a car in season 
superiorly to the Williams. You have to say that's a bit surprising. You know, Williams are multi-championship winners, Williams, versus, you know, Force India, with the greatest of respects, and other kind of Force India, are not. Williams Formula One team, you know, they're they're far cry from it, you know. So, yeah, I'm a bit with you. I'm a bit. They're a head scratcher. I bang on about the driver lineup quite often, and I'm sure we'll come to Felipe, but he seems to find a way of getting them, you know, qualifying it in sixth and ending up tenth too often. You know, that's. Is it the car? Is it the driver? Is it a bit of both? I'm not sure. Back yeah. to the drawing board for yep. the new new OBE, Claire Williams. Back <laughs> to the drawing board. Hopefully, hopefully. So, um, trailing the Williams, really, um, both the Red Bulls, not a very good Oh, we had to forget. Yeah, Oof, good almighty. Not good. Yeah. Trashed both the cars at one point during the weekend, which probably didn't help. Um both of the drivers, but um, not being able to turn their tyres on or using up their tyres too quickly. I wasn't quite sure what it was. I'd I think they were chewing through them mega quickly. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether it was that or whether it was that they just couldn't um, they couldn't get the raw speed out of the um, faster compounds uh, for whatever reason. Um, either way, uh, ended up two stopping. Two stopping was clearly the um, uh, slower strategy here, um, and they've pretty much paid the price for it. Poor old, you know, after Ricardo's heroics in qualifying as well. Um, it, it's, yeah, I mean, for, it's mental how Ricardo managed to qualify in the second, given the problems that they seem to have during the race. It was really strange. I suppose that would lead credence to your point, saying that they were probably chewing up the tyres then, because it means that they'd have been able to have turned them on in in quality yeah. and then just eaten them in the race. And then um, just disappeared for a grip. That's what um, it was either Ricardo or Max. I can't remember who. I might even have been Christian. Said um, first two laps, he was able to go with Nico. So he brings it off the line, second place on the grid, Danny Ricardo is able to go, looking like they've got a bit of pace in the car, and then two or three laps into the race, literally two or three laps into the race, all of a sudden he felt the grip go, and it just, just from what I got, just chewed the tyres up, and Max Verstappen boxed down lap five yeah. on what was supposed to be a one-stop race. He boxed on lap five, for God's sake. So they just had no way of keeping any life in the tyre. Interestingly, like you pointed out earlier, they stripped all the aero off the car for the straight. So do you think, I mean... Sliding around that. maybe more in the slower yeah. sections and just... And it just you, know, that, you know, Red Bull have always been an aero team, always. So their car is obviously just not used to not having that and the tyres obviously just didn't handle it one little bit. I think they won't make that mistake again. They'll, they'll learn from it. Too, too too well funded, too many smart people at that team not to go away and, and figure that one out. Christian said it after the race, he said, and Ricardo said the same as well, they're going to go away and, and the gap, you know, they'll properly analyse this and find out why it happened. So but it was just a, I mean, second on the grid down to seventh, you know, it's one of the worst results I can remember for a while. Yeah. 
for a man who's been on fire as Danny. He's been the man of the sort of last three or four races without managing to to snag a race victory. He, he managed to, you know, take take taste defeat from the jaws of victory a couple of times. So a major backward step, yeah. But I'm inclined to think that it was a one-off and I would think that they'll be back on form at Austria. A track that they're not traditionally that good at, but, you know, it's a, tra- it's a track that they know. Uh, so they'll they'll know what to expect and they'll be able to set the car up accordingly. Whereas this week, they just seem to be outfoxed by the unknown that was the Baku track. So rounding out the uh, points paying positions was Nico Hulkenberg in ninth and Felipe Massa in 10th. Um, I mean, a Hulk finish in ninth, he had a bit of an eventful race because he did a contrary strategy, which meant he was getting passed quite a lot of the time and then bolting on fresh tyres when uh, he other people were slowing down, so he made some places up and things. He was just a bit all over the place. He blew it in qualifying, though. I mean, he, realistically, that yeah. car probably should have been competing with... Well, I mean, Perez got it in third, yeah. so why couldn't Hulkenberg be up no, there? Absolutely. So, so, but I think... They, did you see what happened in qualifying? They, they botched it with the... He thought he had more time to put... So he slowed down and backed out of a lap with the... With the um, the idea of going for a hot one, and then as he comes around the last corner to start his hot one, the radio engineers on the radio are going, that's it, Nico, sessions are over, mate. <laughs> and they, and they, they seem to get it, you know, just completely get the communication wrong there, which I think he ended up 12th on the grid. So, you know, where was Perez? Second, and then obviously a penalty put him down in, uh, in fifth. But, you know, uh, sorry, seventh, not fifth. So that that shows the potential of the, the car, and that Nico finishing ninth on the face of it, starting twelfth, you'd go okay, not the worst result, but a, a case of what could have been, you would have to say. Yeah, no, I I I think so. Um, Massa had a completely anonymous race. Um, just, that's what I was saying earlier. He just went backwards, and I don't really know why. I mean, he, he finished qualifying. He was sixth, yeah. So that's that's a kind of a really poor result, isn't it? Just drop back, back four places. Twenty twenty five seconds behind his teammate, who was who he out qualified. Yeah, and I don't know why. Uh, answers on a postcard. Send us on Twitter if you if we've missed something. <laughs> no matter. Did he have a well, problem? I don't it certainly wasn't did. pit stops because the um, masses uh, stopped twice though. Uh, he, uh, oh, did he? Well, that, he, he was so. on the he was on the wrong strategy. But his pit yeah. stop was um, sub two seconds. Yeah, I've seen that they broke the record uh, again, their own record, I think, isn't it? Williams are both of them, both both Bottas and Massa were the fastest pit stops of the weekend, I believe. Yeah. So, you know, fair play there. They're getting one bit right, having having you know been on the receiving end of our criticism this evening. <laughs> again, that's why they've not developed it. They're just doing pit stops all day. Aero guys <laughs> and everything, just working on pit stops. <laughs> that's why they've not developed the car. Now, um, yeah, Amasa, not not a very good result here, really, from six on the grid. I'm not quite sure. I think I'm pretty sure he did stop twice, so that would mean right away, probably on the wrong strategy. And then to follow it up, just didn't look particularly quick, you know? To be behind both the Red Bulls, who had an absolute shocker, yeah. they had a they had a they had a properly poor poor weekend here. Red Bull with the tyres and stuff, you know. They, yeah, 
time for Massa to to move on. <laughs> In which case, we should probably talk about the next man on track, Jensen Button, the uh, sole surviving McLaren. Um, I think, given everything, uh, it's nothing short of a miracle, really, that he managed to finish 11th and not lapped. Um, because the McLaren looked awful, really. Um, through the slow section, it didn't look too bad. It looked fairly grippy, but um, on the straights, you were just... Yeah, you'd given up all hope, really. Um, uh, finishing ahead of both the uh, Hasses, although I know um, Grosjean, I think, had a bit of an issue at some point. Had to stop an extra time or something like that because um, he got a bit of plastic stuck in his side pod. Um, that was a recurring theme. Uh, again, going back to Kimmy. Some fantastic radio messages from Kimi Raikkonen yep. regarding the plastic bear. It was really bad this weekend. Really bad. It wasn't quite as bad as the um, barbecue cover, was it? That that was at Canada. It was a big, huge cover <laughs> no, of brave, something blew onto the... A brave marshal ran out to get it, did he not? <laughs> yes, indeed. They didn't do that this time. They just allowed Kimi Raikkonen to plough through it at 200 kilometres an hour. Got rid of it, I guess. Um, I told you, he makes the rules, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, well, I guess you've got to say that as awful as the McLaren probably was on this track in reality, it still managed to come 11th. There's this, you know, you kind of just got to go, well, I think you have to take that uh... this time. It was a strange one for me. I remember sitting reading the results after the race and going, how did Jensen Button end up there? <laughs> given everything that happened, like given the nature of that McLaren, how has he, how has he managed to finish just, you know, just outside the points? But, yeah. And he did a bit of overtaking to get there, so it's, you know, it wasn't He was that... scrapping away, he was scrapping away, yeah. To be fair, he was scrapping with Salbers and Hasses. It's not, you know, it's not the calibre of company I'm sure he'd like to be keeping. But, you know, if you know if Lewis Hamilton has to be somewhat, you know, thankful for fifth to some extent, then I think Jensen Button has got to be, you know, fairly thankful for eleventh because I think it would have been very easy to have ended up, you know, judging by how the rest of the field ended up behind, maybe even a Sauber and a Haas, you know, had things not really, uh, you know, it wouldn't have taken much for that to happen. So yeah, and that would have been a bit depressing. That you know, would have been incredibly <laughs> depressing. I'd, if they'd done that, then they, you know, I wouldn't have been able to have found any positives. I think. Um, you know, if Roman Grosjean drives the wheels off his Haas and puts in a stellar performance and and beats you, you can you can live with that. But if the Sauber's pit you, then yeah, that's that's not a good sign. <laughs> Luckily enough, we avoided that, and he also managed to stay on the lead lap. So well done, Johnson. I think I'm almost more last, impressed by that than anything else because uh, last of the uh, last of the men on the lead laps. Uh, that then leaves uh, Felipe Nazar, I think, to record certainly his best result this season. I'm not sure if that's Sauber's. I wasn't sure if Ericsson had a thirteenth, so I don't know if that's actually the best Sauber's done this season. Um, Here's a question, and I think I know what you'll say. What's answer anyway? Of the two, if you had to pick one, which one would you pick, Nazar or Ericsson? I think I'd pick Nazar. I think he's uh, shown more. I agree. I mean? Ericsson I agree. has had a few good races. I don't want to 
slate him or something like that or or, or make it seem like it's it, it's so obviously one-sided but i think all of the best the real best performances um have been Nazar and Ericsson has made far too many mistakes and when the teammates have you know when the situations are reversed it seems like Nazar ends up further up the field compared to Ericsson where Ericsson finishes like i don't know 15th and Eric, uh, and Nazar finishes 17th but you get things like this when Nazar finishes 12th and Ericsson yeah. finishes 17th and it seems like i don't know it may not be consistent enough for people to to rate Nazar or anything like that, but I think he's doing a better job at, at this at this point. I'm inclined to agree as well, but I just I just the only reason I ask, I know it's an interesting stat this weekend that Ericsson's outqualified him six times this season to yeah. Nazar's one, which I was uh, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not I'm not paying attention to who's outqualifying who at some <laughs> Like I don't have the will in me to do that, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, I just it just popped up on screen and it just caught my eye and I was a bit surprised by it because if you'd asked me before I'd seen that stat and I just just to take a guess I'd have said I don't know five two to Nasa four three maybe yeah I'd have definitely had Nasa in front so I find it I was just find it a bit surprising that Ericsson's beat him so comprehensively in qualifying which leads to the question is why is he not doing it in the races so because he's obviously got a little bit of speed if he's yeah. you know one lap speed if he's qualifying his car okay. But Nasser's, you know, easily beating him in the races, or, or uh, looks like that to me anyway, to my to my eyes. Yeah. So why is Ericsson finding it so difficult to maintain speed throughout a race and, it, and, and maintain Raincraft? Maybe he's just not that good. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, that to me is the only explanation that comes on is that Ericsson's <laughs> racecraft is not actually as good as Felipe Nasser's. And yeah, but he's uh, obviously got a bit of speed about him, so that's possibly why he's. And the fact that he brings cash. Yeah. Let's not forget the suitcases of cash. But, uh, yeah, that's probably why he's, you know, garnered yeah, a bit of... You know of, who's uh, got those suitcases of cash now, though? It's Guido van der Gaard. He might as well just sent him a, an online bank payment. <laughs> <laughs> Love market. Enjoy your holiday, Guido. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, look at this weekend here. He's finished 17th. The only person he's beaten is Harry Anto, you know? So, who who um, had his front wing knocked off in the first corner. So, I mean, it's not great. From, <laughs> not, from not, not at all. Um, Grosjean was 13th, and then there was the two Renaults in 14th and 15th, which is, just seems to be about standard practice at the moment yeah. for the Renault. Not quick enough to get into the points, but not last. <laughs> That seems to be about where they are at the moment. Poor no. K-Mac, start from the pits. Yep. Uh, not not ideal. Still finished ahead of Julian, though, which, again, not, not ideal for Julian. I thought, I swear I heard early on Palmer say he had some problems, so I don't know whether that's got something to do with it. I'm sure I heard something from Julian at the start of the race saying he didn't think that the car was behaving properly. Um, I might be making that up, but, um, you know, again, if if you're talking about the teammates that, you know, you'd keep and you wouldn't keep. Well, you know, Magnussen is far outperforming Jolien at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, you know, you wonder who's who would slide in and and take that role really at Renault. Anyway, um, next year you've got to wait and see how they do, don't they? You've got to see what they do when they produce their proper chassis because this is this is you know the Lotus with some bits bolted onto it in in essence. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, of course. Yeah, I've been saying that all season. That yeah, I mean, I said it a few times. They won't. They they get a free pass this season in a way that the McLaren kind of did last season. They get one season to get their act together and find out what on earth's going on, given all the turmoil, and then then we'll start judging them. So fourteen to fifteens. I'm not looking at that too judgingly at the moment, you know. Next season, like you say, is the big acid test. Whether Julian's there or not remains to be seen. If you're a betting man, do you think he would be replaced, yeah? Um, I'd give him, you know, something like three to one that he'll be there, but it's not, you know, it's not. Like you said, there's an interesting question as who would go in. Do you think they would try and find one of their own, a young Frenchman? Um, is it, is I, it I mentioned this before. There's, there's about... Pique and Leclerc hanging about in the wings uh, in various other formulas. Um, Ocon, I think, is... Um, i got to get this right because Carly Taylor told me off because I called him um, Sebastian, and he's not Sebastian. He's something else, and I can't remember what it is now. <laughs> um, but Ocon, I think, is the likely candidate. But there's Sorokin as well. Um, who I was is doing very Sorokin. well in GP2 at the moment? It has well, to be said. I caught, like I say, I caught one GP2 race this weekend, and he looked quite quick, looked lively, looked looked good. Is he contracted to anybody, Sorokin? I'm young driver, not so? sure. I'm not sure because he's driven for Renault in a practice session. Um, okay, where he was faster than Julian Palmer, which you know mm, can't possibly not do great. any um, any, <laughs> any confidence boosts. But I I think. I mean, I would assume that Sorokin probably comes with a lot of Russian money. Um, and I don't really know where um, Ocon is from, but he sounds kind of South... I'm going to say he sounds South American, and he'll probably turn out to be French as well. For, but um, So if he if he is, then he probably comes with money as well. I know Renault probably don't need it, but it probably helps the, the project if it's got extra cash coming in, then it doesn't have to, you know, sub-funds yeah, from the greater Renault group. It's just uh, it's just French, Esteban Ocon. Esteban, so, there you go, not Sebastian. Esteban, and it, oh, an easy French. Yeah, it's just French. Yeah, uh, right. Which fair enough. Why in obviously which case... the the natural link to Renault has obviously yeah been formed there. I uh, it's only I would nine, worry. It's only nineteen. It's only nineteen years old. So, but it, uh, on that basis, he only just qualifies for a super license because they upped it since Max came into a minimum of eighteen. Okay, though, it's, He's 20 this year. So. Ah, okay, so it'll be all right then. Yeah. So the battle. I yeah, would yeah. I would suggest Renault would like to have a Frenchman in the French team, uh, yep. which means Palmer has to do better for the rest of the season to put that out of their minds. Um, he's actually driving for uh, Mercedes in DTM, I think. Ocon. Yeah, I, I'd, yeah, I'm sure I'd seen somewhere along the line that he'd done some Mercedes work as well. I, like I say, I don't think Renault have a junior program, not for Formula One. So they're probably just tapping up various unsigned talent, you know, and saying, "Come along, do a free practice one, and see what you know, see what you make of it, and yeah. what we make of you." Um, but the He's fact that, the fact that he's French and available and in and around the team at the moment and has experience. Certainly gives them a leg up, you would think. Eh? It's difficult. For Julian. You know. that, talk about, we seem to be how harsh is that, though? Because Palmer's the G- former GP2 champion. Do you know what I mean? 
and we're suggesting that hanging around Formula One and being French is more important to Renault than you know, yeah, well, the FIFA I mean, series. That's Formula One, isn't it? How many <laughs> yeah. times have you seen a driver get a drive for a lot, lot less than being a GP2 champion, put it that way? Yes. Uh, yeah, so Esteban Ocon, though, he is currently in DTM. He's he's the um, teammate of a, a, a motor racing, somewhat of a cult icon, I would say. He's currently teammates with Gary Paffett. Oh, legend. Um, the legendary McLaren race dri- uh, test driver. Yeah, don't say race driver. That'll just annoy him. Never, <laughs> never got a chance. <laughs> never got a chance. Like poor yeah, Anthony so, Davidson, really, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? I know he, I know he got to, to drive a Super Aguri, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? Must have hung around Mercedes for such a long time, hoping for something to happen, and then, oh, by the way, we've we've signed Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg, and, Ch- and Michael Schumacher. Oh, <laughs> oh, I won't be getting a drive then. <laughs> <laughs> no, Anthony. Yeah. Afraid not. Sim work for you. <laughs> <laughs> other slight tangents. Uh, just got the DTM roster up here. Uh, other notable names. Uh, Timo Glock. Yeah, I knew he was. I knew he was doing DTM. Antonio Felix de Costa. Oh yeah. Also in DTM. And that's about the only guys whose names I recognise. And obviously Paul de Resto there. So yeah. So Esteban Oco, nineteen, already in DTM. Uh, you know, done some GP3 work. It would be a bit of a stab in the dark to shuffle straight into a Formula One car, but then look at Max. Yeah. You know, if you're good enough, you're good enough. At the end of the day, if it looks at things, you know, the experience is great, but if you're quick and you've got the talent, then then they'll put you in. Thinking about it, obviously, um, Renault have had form in the past for bringing on Russian drivers, haven't they, with old Vitaly Petrov? So True, yeah. Uh, so uh, skipping past uh, the Renaults uh, we then get to um, Esteban Gutierrez in the Haas uh, he'd had a couple of good races he was seen to be taking it to Grosjean but um, only saw him going backwards in this race in fact the only time I vaguely remember anything happened to him was Jensen Button passing him um, uh, Ericsson as we mentioned in the 17th really far behind his um, his teammate is not doing him any favours, I don't think. Uh, and Harry Anto bringing up the rear, at least only one lap down. He's not two laps down as he kind of has been in the last few races. Um, and he did have his front wing uh, clobbered off by um, Gutierrez, actually, in the first corner. Um, it was yeah, a funny, I mean, funny. Was... They missed this on the on all the replays because they were talking about the fact that um, I think Gutierrez hit somebody else on the outside of the corner, but he squeezed Harry Anto on the inside um, and took off his front wing, or the the, the M, M plate of his front wing, before then going across the corner and giving somebody else a little tap um, in the side. Um, DNFs. Uh, bo- both Toro Rossos within a couple of... Uh, it was, sure, it was in a, f- a few laps of one another, wasn't it? They all, all were signs a lot well, later on. Look- there was a fair gap between the two. Sainz was a bit later, but it seems like it was the same problem. So, I mean, or certainly it looked that way. Kvyat retired earlier on with suspension failure, but he managed to get it back home into the pits and they retired them in, in the garage, but but then said on the radio that it was suspension. And then Toro Russell teammate Carlos Sainz runs yeah, off into town one. 
uh, has no has no steering and um, also has a suspension failure. So that's a little bit of a head scratcher for Toro Rosso. Yeah. Both both appear to have had a similar problem. They'll need to figure that one out. Not heard anything post race if they've said why why it was the case or anything. But yeah, both guys not having. Uh, not not having the luck this weekend. Kvyat's qualified really well, yeah. given how much we you know we've been kind of on his back for tw- weeks now. I tweeted now, so. exactly the same thing. I said maybe we should maybe we should be harder on Danny Kvyat more often if he's going to put in. P- I mean performances like that. We do it through love. We want him to succeed. Yes. You know I like Danny Kvyat. This is true. Tough love. We want we we genuinely want the best for him because as good as Max Verstappen has done, and he definitely Max is clearly handling the jump up that was a bit unfairly treated so we want him to do well but it hasn't been doing so this weekend looked like he was getting back on track and then obviously unfortunate with this problem so never rains but pours for poor Danny what I will say is that Torosa looked a sitting duck on the straight oh yes when, when in, in race in race battle so last year's Ferrari engine in the back of it yeah it was it was maybe a blessing that they ended up in the garage because they were getting I, they were getting breezed past down the straight by anything with a remotely half decent engine. So yeah. the post Indias, the Williamses, uh, they were breezing past that, and even even the the, the senior team, Red Bull team, would probably have have been able to do so as well. So uh, they might have struggled for a points finish anyway, but they still either rather been out there and doing the laps and in the garage. Uh, Valen, um bust his brakes. Um, he seemed to be doing all right, though. Uh, yeah. he was, he, you know, he was scrapping with the Renaults and the Hasses and the Sabers and, and the likes. He seemed to be. He wasn't cut adrift at the back or anything. He was no, it, it, obviously the the murk in the back of that compared to the other back markers, I think, is on this track especially helped them a lot. Um, yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. But. Um, the interesting thing it was brought up the other week, um, or maybe even the week before, from um, I think it might, might be Martin Brundle and possibly Paul Resta, but Harry Anto has um, has outqualified Verlin, uh, you know, on a reasonable number of occasions, and um, you know, Marcus Ericsson syndrome. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, to some extent, uh, it seems to have done slightly worse in, in more of the races, but has has had some results over his. Um, over his teammate, so it's interesting because I think Verlin went into that ma- into the manor as, you know, somewhat as a as a golden child, the the Mercedes boy, um, and poor old Rio Harianto, you know, the f- first uh, first Indonesian, I think. Uh, I have no Indonesian idea boy. where Harianto is from. Uh, um, Singapore, Philippines. I don't know. I'm just uh, guessing now. Uh, I, I, th- I thought it was Indonesia. Anyway, um, you know, first Indonesian uh, driver, shall we say? Um, you know, he's he's doing you know a sterling job next to his teammate. So, you know, maybe maybe Verline's prowess is not quite as um, you know as magnificent as we perhaps thought in the first couple of races where he did very very well. Uh, you know, and Rio wasn't very good. I think Rio's rather brought that that battle back. Yep, you're absolutely correct. He's the first Indonesian Formula One driver. I just seen the flag there uh, on the list of people that I had in front of me and thought it was, for some reason, thought it was Philippines, but no, it's in Indonesia, yeah. Um, first ever Indonesian Formula 1 driver. And yeah, he's he's known around Karakia and he's, he's, no. got, he's got a bit of something, you know, he's not, he's, 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 I've seen worse uh, in that sort of position down the back markers. I've seen, I've seen worse, so fair play to Rio. He's getting stuck in, he's rolling his sleeves up, he's trying. So yeah, fair play. 
Uh, and poor old Fernando Alonso uh, gearbox issue. That's another gearbox issue for McLaren. Now that that is a worry. That's something that worries me. That um, you know, it it was all engine last season, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? It was the the turbo blowing up and melting sensors and all the bits and pieces. Gearbox is a bit more, you know, kind of fundamental, and uh, it it worries me that 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 kind of reliability gremlin is creeping back into um, the McLaren. Um, you know, it, it it's still a year where they're they're split fifty fifty probably on development. I don't know how much that this car is going to improve from here on in. I think it can. It's whether they. You know, it's whether really Honda decide to bring very much in season or not, um, or whether they feel that with the stuff that they're restricted on developing, they're just going to leave it until out of season uh, when all the restrictions and token system is is gone and chuck it on there rather than try and half develop bits that don't that don't fulfil part of a, a a bigger scheme. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to repackage the engine. Surely you might as well try to repackage the whole engine and get something out of it, and you know make that big leap that way, rather than say, okay, you know we can't change this bit and we can't change this bit, but we can change this middle linkage bit, but we don't know what that will mean. We'll have to develop around that for 2017, or will we just do something new again? In which case, we're literally building something to scrap it in six months' time. Um, I, I think those decisions are actually preying on the mind of a lot of teams um, about whether it's really worth in-season development or just again looking ahead to the next set of reg changes and and going with that there um you know as i've said before honda have the biggest gains to be made out of anybody it's still probably the worst engine on the grid um there's no real probably about it. it is the worst engine on the grid um it's being dragged along i think by uh how well mclaren managed to uh build the car uh, around it um but they need that they need that big leap next year there has to be the big leap next year if it isn't then i think in reality the project's failed um alonso's gamble hasn't paid off i don't think he's any you know he's no worse off than he would have been really driving the ferrari he's gotten paid a, a massive yeah. amount of money by mclaren um he'd have had a few podiums he might have sneaked the race win here or there but yeah he's not going to he wasn't going to get that world title that he so desperately craves at, um, at Ferrari, and he's not going to get it at McLaren. So ultimately, it was probably worth tossing the coin for him. Yeah, I think at this stage in his career, especially with Seb coming in at Ferrari, it just would have made it really much that much more difficult, wouldn't it? And they clearly wanted Seb in, I think. Um, and I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, him leaving just allowed them to make that choice. That it was a natural easier. sort of progression for them, for everybody. I'm a huge Alonso fan. I think arguably he might still be the best pound for pound driver on the grid. But yeah, and it was probably you know he finished second in the world championship like three times in five years. It was kind of like the last the last time that he finished second. It was about like now or never. It didn't work out. Yeah, probably time for a wee change for everybody. You have to and say, it's not, say Vettel hasn't been able to do that in the Ferrari against Mercedes, so it's, it's, just, it's just um, it, you know, put Fernando and Vettel's fire right now, and they'd probably be exactly the same position. You know, two excellent drivers consistently coming second to a, a superior machine. It is what it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Um, I, you know, I, I'm sure people who listen to this and they know that I'm a McLaren fan and that I, I do try and find the positives more with McLaren than I probably do with some other teams. But it, it is hard. It, it's hard to sit there and watch and, and be aware of quite how badly the, the team is struggling at the moment. Um, but I, 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 I don't I don't understand what else they could have done, really. Then take the Honda punt, you mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, what other what other engine would they have had in the back of that if the Mercedes weren't going to be powering them anymore? What were their options? Well, I mean, they weren't getting it, you know, they weren't going to get a Ferrari because for, there's no way you'd ever see Can you imagine a, a Ferrari powered McLaren? It's I, like I the, can, the world has that. ended and split yeah. asunder. <laughs> it just isn't going to happen, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, which is they take the Renault. And the, obviously, you know, they'd have had the same bad season that the Red Bull had when the Renault switched over, but the Renault seems like it's a reasonable engine at the moment. So they'd have had uh, a good car with a reasonable engine in it, which means they could have possibly been around the Red Bull level, but that's probably where they would be. Yeah. And, and like you say, they've taken a chance on trying to be, they're trying to win, they're trying to win the thing. They're not trying to come second or third, you know, so. it's the, you know, it is the only thing to do. You know, it's kind of surprised me that there hasn't been more of it. Do you know what I mean? That Williams haven't gone out of there and tried to G up some interest or, or well, you know, maybe they haven't, it just hasn't happened. But it surprises me that there's been nobody else who's kind of been able to go out and get the interest from somebody else to be a new engine supplier and come in and just be a an engine supplier for a team and say, you know, you don't have to have all the associated costs with running a Formula One team. Um that chances are, you know, you don't have any guarantee will do well. At least you can put your engine in a car and, you know, let us get on and do all the, all the technical gubbins. Um, I wonder if there's just a bit of a lack of an appetite from engine suppliers at the moment to get in Formula One. You know, they look at it and think high costs for limited returns. It's extremely difficult, difficult you do know, design at the moment for them to come from come from scratch and design under the current regulations. They probably look at that and think. Not really worth the hassle, you know. Not worth the the limited gains that we may or may not get from it. I think that's true. I think the biggest problem has actually been Formula One fans, and that um, I don't think the majority of Formula One's fans have got these engines and understand why they're very cool engines. In reality, you know, the amount of brake horsepower that they produce is, you know, uh, is astonishing. The the, the torque. Um, the technology of being able to harness braking energy and turn it into raw horsepower on top of a, a combustion engine. Um, they they are technical marvels, and you know that you know the the buttons on the steering wheel aren't directly linked to that. By the way, just to point that out, those buttons would have gone on regardless. It's you know <laughs> there's always something that somebody will strap on and, and allow the the drivers to make six million choices out for if they can. Um, uh, you know, and the noise thing, which you know irritates me and always has, and I don't really want to go over that again. But I, you know, I, I couldn't care less if it's quieter than it was before, um, so long as the cars uh, are going fast. And clearly, they're going faster than they ever have before because they're starting to break all of the um, uh, all of the track records. In fact, Valtteri Bottas has recorded the fastest ever speed, top speed for a Formula One car. So, what 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 do you want to say about a V6 turbo as opposed to a a V8 or a V12, a 10 or uh, whatever. Do you know what I mean? It, 
it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter if you're a Formula One fan what's in the back of the cars, so long as they continue to go fast uh, and they eke out all the performance they can do out of them. Um, doesn't particularly bother me. I, I'm more interested. I would rather see things like, and I think we're going that direction next season of less, less silly, curvy, floppy bits at the front of the cars and things <laughs> like that. You know, uh, <laughs> yes. I hate, I hate the current rear wings, the high and narrow rear wings. Yeah, that they... should be low. That should be low, flat, and and wide. Uh, I'm much more uh, of, of technical things, and I'm not that bothered about a lot of the techie stuff. But of the tech side of things, there are things I would. There's probably a list of things I would change before I'm even that fussed about the engine. Yeah, I just yeah, want fair engines. I want a variety of different suppliers that are all relatively decent. That's all I want. I'm no bothered if it's V6, V8, V10, V12. If they've got a few different suppliers that are all supplying fairly equal. You know, they're not. I don't want. I'm not asking for you know standardized spec across the board, but you know, engines that can compete with each other from multiple suppliers. That's all I care about. It doesn't need to be. Don't care what the actual, what's actually going what's inside the configuration it. or anything. Yeah. yeah like I say, there's I'll, I'll, there are more more important things with regards to what creates the best racing on track and than the engine, and a lot of it stems from the rest of the car. Yeah. But going back to my original point, I think it's that attitude from Formula One fans that has put off other manufacturers coming in. Because I suspect, I genuinely suspect that that some engine manufacturers would come in with the current regulations because it's hybrid new technology. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's an application of something that they want to already have in road cars, and 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 everything is going that way to having more and more electronic and electric power in the cars. Um, I'm sure that would be, you know, of interest to big manufacturers, really. Um, but you know, if the fans are saying, "Oh, we hate these engines," there's there's little reward, is there, for creating a really good? I mean, look at Mercedes have probably produced one of the best engines in the history of Formula One ever. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And nobody cares because it doesn't make enough sound and it's not got ten cylinders in it. Like, I think you've missed the point, really. Then, when you when it when that's all it comes down to. I agree. Uh, what's a bit disappointing uh, is maybe disappointing is the wrong word, but what's not ideal is Honda not quite being on it with McLaren and taking such a long time to get. There. If Honda had come in, and fair enough, had that one really bad season at the start, but if they'd been really successful, say this season, a few other guys might have taken a look and go, "Oh, Honda have turned up and." done quite well why don't we have a crack at this but right now if they were looking on in and seeing honda pitter around at the back and struggle to finish races and things like that then some prospective suppliers might just go oh that looks a little bit too much hassle for us why don't we just build another jeep or something like that you know (laughs) (laughs) so it's difficult we're not selling ourselves particularly brilliantly from a from two prospective suppliers Where's Cosworth? They'll they'll give you an engine. They're always good for a laugh. <laughs> I'm surprised the Williams. I'm surprised. I'm surprised Williams haven't tapped up Cosworth. You know they they love a Cosworth engine. Right. You know, just yeah, we could do. We need. I feel like we just need one more for the right balance. It was when you right. heard like the, the Aston Martin were thinking of coming back in to do something with Force India, and you were like, oh, well, wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't it be good to have a you know. A sports car manufacturer like that come in and and 
provide that sort of service to to a team wouldn't that be really and then it just kind of all pitted out and i can kind of understand why i think it's uh but it you know all you hear about alpha romeo coming back and thinking well wouldn't it be good if there was an alpha engine you know something produced by alpha romeo that wasn't a ferrari engine that that would be available yep. to you know your salvers and uh force indias or whatever as, as an alternative that could be good because it's got enough finance behind it but just a little bit just something a little bit different you know you know right now if you've not got a mercedes or a ferrari or a renault you're nothing really and that's only three across the whole grid and yep. then obviously mclaren have their own demons of the honda so like that's not just one or two more suppliers would just be the ideal for that little bit more competition a little bit more diversity yeah, but no. to, to echo the original point, and I think it's the main thing to take away, is that it's not what's actually in, what goes up into making what's in it. It's it's the end result, you know. And, and the fact of the matter is, these engines are they're quick. They're as quick as what was before. So what's the problem? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, on that uh, on that note, I think it's a, a good time to wrap up. So uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the last lap podcast i've been andrew pearson and uh sean gray has been my co-host as usual um if you're trying to find us on the interwebs it's www.lastlappodcast.co.uk um if you're trying to find us on twitter it's at last lap podcast uh find us on facebook just by searching for the last lap podcast um i'd give you the url but it's got the wrong show name in it thank you very much mark zuckerberg um <laughs> Uh, and as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, TuneIn or Stitcher. Uh, so thanks very much for tuning in to this European Grand Prix edition of the Last Lap Podcast. We will be back in a few weeks' time. Uh, what's the next race, John? It is Österreich. Ah, Austria. The Red, the red Bull Ring, which it's is my favourite because it is a Red Bull-owned racetrack that completely does not suit their car. <laughs> <laughs> and the irony will never ever not make me giggle. Brilliant. So yeah, in a couple of weeks we will uh, see what goes on uh, in Austria. Uh, so for now, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you then. Bye bye. Cheers.